right, hey guys, and welcome to the Three Drinks In podcast, episode number 259. I'm your host, Vince. Over there is your host, Phil. Hey. In this episode, we are talking about the Banshees of Inishirin, nominated for, I heard, nine Oscars, including Best Picture. Uh, before we get into all that, though, I want to please ask you to subscribe to this podcast on which, whichever service that you're using, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you are doing this from. Uh, make sure that you leave us a five-star rating and maybe even a review. We'd really appreciate that. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at 3DrinksInPod. You can like us on Facebook, and you can email us at 3DrinksInPodcast at gmail.com. Uh, last of all, don't forget to check out our uh, <clears throat> excuse me, our, our merchandise over there at tpublic.com. Oh. Yeah, but Jesus. Ah, go on. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that skit they used to do with the the cardinal or whatever? Like, ah, oh, you say, <laughs> yeah, thirty hail my and ten our fathers. Oh, yeah, but Jesus. Like you were just saying at the end of every sentence. <laughs> oh, that's some good old fashioned family racism. Brought to you by Don Imus in the morning. Which yeah, I don't even know Not what was going on there half the time. He was cryogenically, you know, <laughs> frozen every afternoon so that they could continue the show. I just never understood like what that show was. Like, is it? It's a. It's like a wacky because like like the wacky morning zoo hour shows that we like we were accustomed to growing up on like Z one hundred. Um. Were very different than that. <laughs> like I couldn't. Do they play music? Do they just do sports? Do they talk? They don't talk about anything in particular. It seemed like it just it was random. No, I, I miss is is the prototypical. He's proto Howard Stern. Howard Stern has done exactly what Don Imus has done. Don Imus was the one who was the shock jock who did funny crank calls and wacky guests. And then as he got older and people, you know, crapped on him more because they didn't want him doing those things. Oh, the sense of decency and all that stuff. He started inviting real guests on like politicians and pundits and things. Which is where we kind of joined the party. We're like, Which, oh, this that's, is what that's we, when we started listening. <laughs> he always has, you know, state senator. What's his name? on, You know, from the third <laughs> district or whatever. State senator. Not even a real senator. State senator. Yeah, like state senator, you know, congressman <laughs> from, you know, Bumble, whatever, Nowhereville. So like, okay. And like they became interviews and like dumb gags. And Howard Stern has done the exact same thing. He's gone from having women orgasm on the air as a joke. And now he's doing like three hour interviews with people that get like, you know, they're practically therapy sessions. Yeah. You know, they just, they just get older. And I think when you break down all the boundaries, I mean, what hasn't been done on the radio now is a shock jock. It's like that stuff doesn't shock anymore. So you might as well just talk to them. Okay. I mean, yeah, that's that's sort of the trajectory of all these guys. I mean, Conan O'Brien is the same way. He was less of a shock and more of like, you know, he was just a goofy kind of guy. Like his his sense of comedy yeah. was, you know, was not offensive yeah, like I, in the least. But then I, again, I, he like there he is with like Michelle Obama. <laughs> right. Like I, I mean, I never personally liked Howard Stern all that much because it was just a shock, which wasn't, which to me was not funny in itself. Which is why I liked Opie and Anthony at the time. Yeah, they were great. And like their shocking stuff was dumb, but their their skits and things were great. So like 
the shock doesn't doesn't last, you know. No, like none of it lasts. It all like what we you know. Wherever you begin, you end up simply evolving into like Dick Cavett. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> Dick Cavett is the mean. Everyone <laughs> eventually ends up there. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I know famous stories that involve me in some way. <laughs> anyway, yeah. anyway, they do funny uh, Irish accents. Not that anyone else does. You know, doesn't make fun of Irish people. No. You know, ah, shar, 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 shar. Oh, shar, 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 shar. <laughs> Angry jabbering at the bottom. <laughs> That's a Simpsons reference for those of you keeping score. So, um, so you you saw the Banshees of Inisherin in the theater. I did, or in the cinema, as they would say. Um, yeah. By the way, way, I should point out that you and I are both Irish citizens, so we're allowed to make fun of Irish people, <laughs> right? <laughs> I can bust out my Irish passport if I need to. Okay. Yeah, I have, I have Irish citizenship, which doesn't surprise most people. <laughs> Take one look at me, but you know me. They go, "What? Yeah, really? you more than me." <laughs> you so know, I'm, like, I'm with, basically with... a potato. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you break, you know, break glass in case of St. Patrick's Day. Uh, yeah. You know. But uh, um, I should I should ask my, my my wife's co-teacher if she'd seen this movie because um she's like super Irish in only a you know in only in a way only that it, that an American can be super Irish she's super Irish she lives in like the the last Irish section of the Bronx and um you know she's thinking about taking off on St Patrick's Day kind of a thing and I'm like what. <laughs> That's it's not, not a real really holiday. A, not really a thing. <laughs> I didn't have green beer three thousand years ago, but all right. <laughs> so, um, but I, our mother's from Ireland, so I I took her to see it. You know, specifically because I knew that's what it was about. People in Ireland with Irish actors and an Irish director and writer. Um, and writer. So like, I was like, let you know, let's go out. We'll kill some time. It's it, it was getting really good reviews and um you know there's us and th- three other families in the theater it's not like any of these kind of movies make money anymore unfortunately um but it is true what they say that when you watch these kinds of movies and you're not distracted by your phone and you know your microwave beeping and you know like you're not making s'mores in the middle of stuff you're focused on these things and these are the kinds of movies you really need to be focused on yeah you know, they're not mindless action films that we that we usually watch. Um, and then you just watched it here at home, I guess. I did, yeah. Um, this was a couple of days ago, and uh, yeah, no, it's 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 hard to just kind of sit down. Okay, I'm going to watch a relatively you know slow drama with subtitles because it's you know, and I probably could have gotten by without them. But my wife is like adamant that whenever there's anything, you know, with an accent, it really helps her a lot to have the subtitles on. And I like the, I don't mind them too. My, my problem is with, so like there's two kinds of subtitles. There is the closed captioning and then there's the subtitles and very few services will give you just subtitles in English, which is bizarre because I just watched a YouTube video the other day. That, that talked about why so many people are watching TV shows with subtitles and movies in particular. 
and it was interesting it was, it was mostly about how like when you when you're mixing audio that's been recorded for a film you know you if you're Christopher Nolan, you're you're an absolute prig, and you want you only want to mix it for the best theater that you know sound that's humanly possible. So half the reason apparently people couldn't hear the the dialogue in Tenant was because there are fourteen theaters in the world that meet his specifications for audio sound, and he mixed his movies for those fourteen theaters. So the rest of us who didn't get to go see it in theaters because we didn't want to get COVID um, before we had any vaccines watched it at home like normal people and couldn't understand a bleeding thing. And so like you kind of think that like, well, if this is a huge problem so much that like random YouTubers are making videos about it, wouldn't more, you know, Amazon, Apple, wouldn't, wouldn't more of them offer English as a subtitle option, not just a, just as like for, you know, like a thing for uh, for the death. Uh, no, <laughs> they don't. And so, mm-hmm. this closed captioning is it's always like a little bit ahead of the person speaking, which is very frustrating. Because then, like, I'm getting the line. I'm trying to tra- train my eyes. Don't look at the words. Look at the guy's face. But it's hard. And like ominous music plays. Like, no, I know. I can I can hear the music. I just need to know what they're saying. Yeah. Same. So. And I said that to our mother when we left the theater. I was like, I wonder how many people watched this and had no clue what they were saying. Because, I mean, she understood everything. I had a little bit of trouble sometimes, but not usually. I mean, we grew up hearing stuff like this. Maybe yeah, our grandfather heavy. had a fairly heavy, I mean, different yeah, I mean, accent. We were used to... Yeah, we're used to an Eastern Ireland accent versus a Western Ireland accent. Uh, yeah, but like... I got it. Like I could understand everything they were saying. It was not especially like troublesome for me. And but I, but I don't know if that's true for everybody. Yeah. You know? I remember mom like, used oh, to yeah, say, yeah. I hadn't thought of that. She was like, oh, I hadn't thought of that. I was like, yeah, because we were used to it. Yeah. Mom used to say that when she was young and our grandfather would be speaking at some kind of a public event, a CYO basketball thing. He used to give out awards for things all the time. People would come up to her later and go, "What the hell did he say?" Like, you know, he he didn't have a very thick brogue, but it was noticeable, and he was very proud of his brogue, and he didn't want to give it up, mm. so he worked hard uh, to maintain it. He'd lay it on a little thick too for the audience. <laughs> it was the same thing, and I'd be like, "I can understand him perfectly fine," and our father would, would like lean back and tell us, "Like he's he's putting it on," you know, like it's, yeah. it was it was it was there, but it was heavier than it needed to be, depending on who was in the room. So yeah. But you're right. He was proud of it. That's why. He yeah, no, he was, he's like showing it off. So. Yeah, and it made him unique. You know, he was. You know, there was a large Irish population in New York at the time, but you know, not everyone was from Ireland. And <laughs> Grandpa was from Ireland. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's the thing about New York, it's not all. They're not all Irish. So. Yeah. Not that they wouldn't have you believe you otherwise, but yeah. So, what did you think of the Banshees of Inisherin? I liked it. Okay. Um, I also liked it. <laughs> I would understand why somebody might fall asleep in it. Like I'm, I wasn't, I wasn't surprised that my wife didn't make it all the way through. She tried. She was like in and out, and she was paying attention to it. But you know, we you know, we're up every day at five a.m. People, <laughs> we're out the door with two kids by six forty-five. So like, you know, it's an effort to get through some of these things. Um, so like, I don't blame people for like 
you know, if you don't go see it in theaters where you're kind of forced to watch the movie, I, you know, I don't believe it. But no, I really liked it. I, um, I'm trying to think how many Martin McDonough movies I've seen. I, I didn't see In Bruges. That's been on my list for about a decade now. It was one of those things like, oh, that guy, Colin Farrell from um, The Recruit. And um, what's that with uh, Tom Cruise? Uh, Minority Report. You know, he he made a apparently like a cult film that people love. And that was in Bruges. And so I, I have to I really have to go see that. We should probably do that for our, you know, one of our upcoming episodes. Um, but I remember reading The Pillow Man, which is a play that Martin McDonough wrote years ago. Um and it was weird and creepy and funny, and it was about a guy who was basically being interrogated by two people from like this, like some fictional country secret police, and it was really kind of terrifying, but in that exciting and you know often humorous kind of way. And I remember being really drawn into that play and thinking this guy can really write. Um, and I can't think if I've seen anything else by him, but this movie has that quality of that that I like, where you take a guy who's primary um point of view is theatrical it's 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 the it's the script itself and you sort of hyper focus on the words kind of like david mamet does although mamet does it at the expense of everything else (laughs) including acting um and uh but like you just I mean, this, the reason I still watch David David Mamet movies is because you see the you know you see and hear the author working, and sometimes you want that you know if everything is like super deliberate and you know hyper specific and nothing is by chance and you know you're sort of letting the words do their job, which you know most films don't do. Most films, the script is incidental. You know, they give you an idea, and I mean, and you. You know, you hear stories about how certain movies get gets made. I think the best one is Pretty Woman. Basically, you know, they signed on all these actors to play these parts in this movie, and Jason Alexander showed up on set after like m- missing the first couple of weeks of filming because he was like, I think, in a play. And Richard Gere is like, <laughs> strap in because I don't know what the hell we're doing here. Like, they basically gave them a script that Gary Marshall threw in the garbage. And just gave them lines to set and said, like, okay, now be funny and do whatever. And he filmed that and made it into a pretty decent film. But, like, the script was the absolute last thing anyone cared about. And then you get Judd Apatow, you know, just not wanting to write a script. And, like, all right, it's Ghostbusters with ladies. And go. Like, be funny and I'll film it. Which is, I think, the laziest goddamn thing in the world. Especially when you're not funny. Right. (laughs) It makes it harder. It doesn't make it any easier. Um, so yeah, so I, I I really enjoyed you know the fact that the writing really shone through, and I forget who the cinematographer was, but Jesus Christ, you know, could they? You know, I mean, no one must have slept on this movie because every shot was like a magic hour shot. <laughs> so it was all it was all gorgeous in the, in that way. Um, and yeah, like I just. I found myself really kind of captivated by it. And, you know, it was, you know, incredibly, I don't know what the words are. Like, it's 
I'm thinking like blunt, divisive. Like it was just everything about it was very, very powerful, and everything was very, very simple, and it it just kind of drove its point in that sort of endless cycle in the way that Irish people think <laughs> about like you know feeling guilty and you know dealing with problems or ignoring problems and that sort of like the cyclical nature of you know you know the rural irish at the beginning of the 20th century and um yeah no i thought i thought it was very good um i think i don't begrudge someone for not liking it because it is slow and you know it's it it can be difficult at times but um but yeah that was great what'd you think um I mean, yeah, I, I liked it. It was, it was difficult. I remember we walked out of it, and I thought it was great. And my my mother, she turned and she goes, "I said, what'd you think?" Because my mother never goes to the movies. And she's like, "I liked it." She goes, "I'm not sure what the point of it was," mm. but she she didn't mean that in like a a mean way. Like she was dismissing it. She was she's not a cinephile or anything like that. So she was literally just confused as to what the point of the movie was because it's kind of hidden and a little bit open to interpretation. You know, it's, it's taking place at the same time as the Irish civil war in the early 1900s. And most people don't know what happened then. I'm sure the Irish don't even know half the time what happened then. No, no, they know. We just, but they don't, they don't ever talk about it. It's not really brought up, you know, what, you always hear about the Irish beating up the English and things like that. But when it comes to fighting one another, they're a little bit more uh, awkward about it, you know? So, and they don't talk about it in the movie all that much. It's just sort of happening because the, the movie takes place on an imaginary Island called Inisherin. It's not a real Island. And they're like right off the coast of the mainland. So like they can see it from some parts of the beach, you know, and like they, they hear gunfire, they hear cannons and they're like, you know, that, that war has nothing to do with us because we never go over there. That's pretty remote. And they're like in a town with, you know, their village has got one pub, you know, one church, everyone knows everyone. They're all spread out like crazy because it's Ireland. And um, they're all just sort of in their own world. And people are saying like, Oh, what's a metaphor for the civil war? Cause it's two friends who are no longer buddies anymore and things like that. And yes, there's, parts of that of that are parallel to what's what's going on with the main characters um but not so much that it like that's all it is it's not just a political allegory you know so then what does it become well it becomes about two guys who no longer want to be together well one does but the other one doesn't want to be his friend anymore you know it becomes about loneliness it becomes about losing your family it becomes about you know, not understanding other people in the in in town. You know, you feel like the odd man out. There's the parallels between him and the character that um, what's his name, Dominic Keogh plays. How do you say yeah. that guy's name? I think you know, Keogh. Like, yeah, yeah, like he's like the village idiot character that no one likes. Yeah, he was you great. Know? Oh, he was very good. Yeah. yeah, he he was very good. Nobody in this is bad. Like, there's nine people in the film. They're all fantastic. Yeah. I, I thought his sister was particularly good. Yeah. That no, one she, she plays Tony Stark's uh, voice in his helmet. She's Friday? She's Friday. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, the whole movie, I'm like, God, I know this woman's from someplace and she's very good, but I didn't want to Google it right then and there. So I waited. I was like, oh, it's Friday. 
By the way, that was a great name for like that that you know little AI character. It was Friday. Friday, yeah, (laughs) that was great. Um, so, so there's a lot of things happening in the movie, and it stuck with me for days afterwards because I was still trying to like piece it all together myself. And um, whatever my our mother said a lot, she seemed to have enjoyed it because, like, you know, later on in the in the week, she was like, "Yeah, I really like that movie." It's like, okay, good. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it didn't strike me as having a particularly big thing to say about anything too specific. I mean, there's something about the way in which the Irish live and the way in which their artists portray them as having this unbelievable self-awareness of their their place in the grand scheme of things. And like our dad always used to say that they all... This is going to sound terrible. But he said they used to, that they suffer from a massive inferiority complex. And wouldn't you, you know, if you were right next to England, which yeah. ran the planet for the better end of three centuries, and who, you know, you know, every time one, you know one of the royals takes a dump, it's you know it's third page news. You know, it's it, we, you know there there is something to be said about how small people on that island have felt over time and how small their culture feels and how, you know, it's, you know, the English did everything they could to, you know, make them as Anglican as humanly possible without murdering everybody there and with varying degrees of success. (laughs) And, I mean, to me, I mean, what I liked about it most was that you you get you got to see both sides of of the situation and you can identify with with each man of course the guy cutting off his fingers is the crazy person so you can't you know you, you know you, you it's harder to side with him in some in some ways because you, you you ask yourself would you go to that to, to to those same lengths for what he wants but you know you've one guy who doesn't want to disappear into obscurity and one guy who doesn't know he's a, he, that that he's living in it right now, and you know that's you kind of see both arguments at the same time, which is really great. Yeah, well, that's what I took away from it was that you know the one character, what's that actor's name? The the older guy. The older guy. Um, he is the uh, what's his name? Uh, Gleason, what has is Brendan Gleason, who by the Brendan way Gleason. is the father of Dom Hall Gleason, who we know from uh, uh, Star Wars. Yes, he plays uh, you know Commander Slickback Hair, right? Commander Angry Eyes, right? <laughs> yeah, he, he he by the way is very very good, and he is absolutely shit in those movies. He is terrible in the. Oh yeah, well, they don't give him anything to do. Oh my god, like. Yeah. We we saw him in Brooklyn, you know, years ago. That film Brooklyn that came out, and um, you know, I'm like, oh, oh, he's great. <laughs> you know, he had a very yeah. small part in that, but he was very good. It was like it's the same guy who had to say "snook" like that with like with his entire face. Yeah, anyway, yeah. Well, that's um. Oh, uh, he. So I looked at it the same way as like he doesn't want to be um, forgotten. He wants to. He realizes at the end of his life because he's older that 
you know, he, he's wasted a lot of it sitting around on the, on the Island bullshitting with um, Colin Farrell's character. Like they just sit and they talk all day long because they got nothing else to do. And he just decides up one day, like, I'm not doing this anymore. I, I have to do something meaningful with my life and contribute. Now, he takes it really too far because he's like, I've got to leave music for the ages. Whereas like he could have obviously just like made music and hope for the best, but like all of a sudden his ambitions go from zero to a thousand, you know, whereas Colin Farrell's character is not all that bright. He's a little lonely. He doesn't understand, like he doesn't understand what's going on. Yeah. And that's like the first 40 minutes of the movie when all the characters are like, are you guys fighting? And he's like, I don't think we're fighting. Are we fighting? Like <laughs> he keeps trying to explain it to him. Like, I can't stand talking to you anymore. Being with you is a waste of time. And he's not smart enough to understand why, but he's just smart enough to know that he's doing something wrong and can't fix it. Yeah. Which is heart. It's a heartbreaking thing. It is very, very sad. <laughs> you know? And if, if that was like, that's a good story for a one act play but then the other guy like his because Colin Farrell won't give up the friendship he's like this is all I have I'm not giving this up and that's when Brendan Gleeson starts chopping his fingers off with garden with like the shears for a sheep and he's like I'm gonna cut off my finger every time you try to talk to me again until I got nothing left and he like throws them at the house <laughs> and that's when I don't know how you could fall asleep because I was sitting there like on edge of my seat wondering what the hell was going to happen next. Yeah, and it also it, happened it, that I was in the theater, but I was just like, this took a turn. I don't yeah. know what is happening here. Yeah, no, he was quite serious after that. You're like, oh my you God, know. he cut his fingers. So like, yeah, if you if you conk out before that, I can forgive you. But once he begins cutting off his fingers, you're like, what is going to happen yeah. now? And. And the other characters, like, they have that reaction where they're all looking around like, oh, my gosh, that's that ain't right. Like, yeah, I mean, you know, like the other like, bartenders, like, if, if I did that for spite, that'd be nothing more than a head. Yeah. a Jesus. Yeah, no, it was great. I mean, it's funny it, the the way in which that they that they treat him too is just like you know they're like they're blaming uh, Colin Farrell for the whole thing, and no one says to him, "Maybe you should stop cutting off your fingers." Like this is really stupid, right? You know, they're they're all you know. I mean, that's speaks to. I mean, it's the whole thing is so well crafted. Like, so my my favorite scene in the whole movie is when he gets drunk enough to confront him and really give it to him and. You know, he's he, he's he's so thick with drink that he, you know, kind of gives him a what for to the point where the guy says, well, that's the most interesting he's been in a long time. But one of the things that I thought was fascinating about it was that he he tells him, like, you know, you know, Mozart or something like he he, he references Mozart and he gives the wrong date. Yes. He says, like, you know, the 17th century or whatever it was, I forget what he says. But then, like, the sister corrects him, and she's like, actually, it was the 18th century, you idiot. Like, you know, she's the smartest one, on the, you know, on the entire island, which is why she leaves. Yeah, she's yeah. the most important part of everything. Yeah. And, you know, without and that's that. that's why she's so good. <laughs> yeah. Without that, nothing else happens. And it, and it just goes to show you, like, she goes and talks to him, and it's just like, why are you doing this? Whereas, like, nobody else will actually have a conversation with the guy. They just get mad at. What's his name? Uh, 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 
Parik. Is that how you say it? It's, it's spelled with a D, but you it, don't say it. It's Padrick. It's Padrick, but you Padre, just, which is Patrick. His name is Patrick Sullivan. Yeah. But because it's Irish, it's Patrick Sullivan. Right. And this is yeah. one of the oldest parts of Ireland. You know, they they, oh, yeah. they, they still speak, you know. And I've and I've had students be named Patrick or Padrick. Like yeah. it's like written out because their parents are Irish and the kid was born here and they're like, Yeah, his name's Patrick. Which is how like, you get Patty from Patrick. From Patty, yeah. yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah. okay. And like I was probably the only person in the whole building who could pronounce the kid's name, but I was like, Yeah. yeah but um, so. but yeah. So like the fact that 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 nobody there is a rocket scientist, and they're kind of making Colin Farrell out to be like the dumbest one of the bunch. But like, is he? Like I kind of start like y- you initially feel some sort of sympathy for him because he's such a sad sack and he seems so simple about it. But like, he's sort of the only one being like, "What the heck is the matter with you?" Like, this is not any way to behave. And there's something incredibly honest and obvious about this that nobody else but him and his sister sort of bring to it. And, like, that's a very complex character for an idiot. Like, he's, you know, it's not, it's, it's not so simple as, like, he's dumb and he doesn't quite understand the importance of, you know, being not forgotten over time. Whereas he's just like... You're not gonna write anything important sitting in this pub. What are you out of your fucking mind? Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like the sister is, um, she's she's supposed to be like the audience member who's like, you know, I'm, I'm assuming the people who watch these movies are a little bit smarter. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. <laughs> like she understands what's happening completely, and she doesn't fit in there. Because she's smart enough to know what's really happening around them. She's emotionally mature. Um, she feels trapped. Like her her whole thing is that she feels trapped there because she's taking care of him. Yeah. Of, of, of Colin Farrell. And she wants to leave, but like she knows that if she does, he'll have nothing, especially now that his friend won't talk to him anymore. So like her leaving the island and like asking him to to join her on the mainland is like not a leap that he can make. Because he writes to her at the end and he says, like, I can't leave this place. This is the place that I belong. But she puts the Brendan Gleason in his place because he's trying to get out of that situation, but he's going about it the wrong way. Yeah. Like, oh, I want to be famous. So I don't want to waste my time the way I have been. Like, she's like, that scene is great where he yells at him when he's drunk because she walks in and tells him that you are being a complete and utter ass. And the way that you're handling this is wrong. And you need to get over yourself and remove all the self pity that you're feeling, you know? And like her father also said, no one does self pity better than the Irish. (laughs) And have it down to a science. Yeah. You know, like they've got the Catholic guilt thing going. Absolutely. But it also they turn that on against themselves half the time. So when you like you're an Irish person and you hate the person living in the village like you know two miles away and you beat the crap out of that guy, then you feel bad for yourself because you had to beat him up. <laughs> you know, like it's yeah. that kind of thing with self pity. You know, it's it's something. Yeah, there's something about like there's this this is something I've noticed with people, you know, who feel guilt inappropriately. There is something about. You know, when somebody makes you feel guilty for something that you shouldn't bear any responsibility for, 
some part of your brain knows this and you you begin to resent the other person for it. Same thing with jealousy. Like you have no reason to be jealous of somebody, but you are. And then you begin to resent that person even more because of the jealousy you feel like related to them. Guilt and jealousy have that 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 thing connected. And yeah, that 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 is a common thing among people who are Irish. Is that you know you feel guilty about something, but you know somewhere in the back of your head you're like, well, no, I didn't do anything wrong. This is okay. And then well, fuck you for making me feel this way. Like it's. Just, you know, and it it could be self-imposed guilt. It could be externally imposed guilt. But whatever it is, it yeah, it makes the person feel small or you know less than, and they that that gets turned around and then expressed outwardly, and then you blame somebody else for the problems that you're feeling. That you know nothing to do with the other guy. And now you're cutting your fucking fingers off, like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and. You basically have it. The three of them are basically representing, you know, the different stages of, of self-awareness and, and that sort of guilt at the same time, you know, because Colin Farrell's character is not smart enough. He's perfectly content to be where he is. He's smarter than the village idiot because he's not like, he's not handicapped in any way mentally. He's just not all that bright. You have his sister who's way too bright, you know, to the point where like, they don't like her. Like she's yeah. looked down upon, you know, like she, she looks like a spinster. How come he didn't marry anybody and settle down and be a housewife? And she's like, I, you know, I'd rather read books and be a librarian. And she feels lonely on the island. And Brendan Gleason's character. And there's an important scene where he's speaking to a priest. And he's doing confession because he's Irish. And at one point, the priest says to him, have you had any more thoughts of despair? And he says, yeah, of course I have, you know, like I'm still working on that. And the priest says, all right, you know, let me know when you need help with that sort of thing. So like he's feeling the way that the sister feels, but he doesn't know how to handle yeah. it or what to do about it. Yeah. Like so every, he, go ahead. Yeah. So he, the way he decides is, is to crank his emotions up to a thousand percent and be like, I need to stop doing whatever I have been doing and try something new. And if that means hurting other people in the process, then okay, fine. Yeah. You know? which is what ends up what happening. I mean, to self-mutilate yourself too is is an extreme reaction. <laughs> no, it's it is a it is an obvious and, you know, fantastic form of um of mental illness. That's that's what that is, <laughs> you know, like and it was you know, graphic. Like it was it, they did not shy away from it. No, yeah. And I'm just surprised you didn't get gangrene. I'm just I was I know, uh, that's what I was thinking too. I'm like, should you be walking around with a giant stump like that? And then he had like four stumps. Was, yeah, he cut off four the of his... dog was licking it. I'm like, eh, I don't know yeah. if this is healthy. And I mean, I, I you wonder if if part of the point of it is to say that like, oh, well, Everyone on the island can feel this way. It's just that some people don't. Or like everyone on the island is feeling the same way. But everyone is processing it differently. Which is an interesting way to to, to think about it. Like a, you have a small island with a group of people who are very homogeneous. And they're all, you know, going and living through the same stuff. How are people coping with it? Well, the cop is molesting his son that's how he's coping with it the old lady is running around you know portending death to everybody who meets her the lady in the 
in the general store is angry if you don't give her news of the outside world. Like everybody is going through the same exact experience. That's great. She yeah. goes to pick up her mail and it's already open. She goes, fell open, did it? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and the woman just shrugs at her like, oh, I don't know. Fell I'm open. Yeah. I read your mail. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> that was a good like fell open because it's just such an insane thing to say. But, um, but yeah, like everyone is dealing with, and like the only healthy person in the entire story is the sisters, and she's the only one that leaves. So if you want to say, is he making a comment on anything? Yeah, it's that Ireland is a small place that's you know too small for the people who live there, and too and the and the and the world might be too big for them too, and so everyone's just scared and they stay where they are, and that's you know, and some people deal with it fine. Padraig is de- dealing with it pretty okay, you know he's just you know not doing great you know a lot of a lot of you know animals in that house at the end you know yeah but i mean that's that's all he has yeah i had a note about that too i was i was just thinking like you know I, the better the movie the fewer notes i take just you know because i just i feel that things will stick with me more and i won't have to recall you know what you know things i wanted to say but one of the things that caught my eye was the the way which the animals tended to regard the people they you know there was almost well, i'm going to going to look it up here real quick before i forget but i said um the animals look on knowingly you know i i had had a couple of cocktails at this point but like <laughs> <laughs> i've actually i've actually cut back on my drinking quite a bit since since new years and so like one and a half drinks is, you know, will it's just plenty is is plenty at this point, but um, but yeah, there's something about the way the animals are filmed, and the way that they kind of look at the camera at, at points, and it's as if they're looking back at the humans. So we're you know we're watching the scene, and we, you know we watch the humans interact with the animals, but there are there are shots with no people in it it's just the animal turning around to regard the other person and you're seeing it from the human's point of view but you're looking right at the animal as if the animal's looking right at you and kind of going what are you people doing you know like as if they know better kind of a thing like we all belong here because we're animals and this is just an island and we, we need to eat and pee and poop and do whatever but like you all could be somewhere else <laughs> yeah there's a sense that I mean, the the animals are very much part of their life, you know, yeah. like the, they're farmers, basically. So, and he keeps his animals in the house because they're like pets to him, you know. So, um, it, it was just, it was well done how they integrate that. I mean, that's kind of how the Irish were back then. I mean, it was third world country forever. Yeah. yeah. Same and, with all like, know, the, the, the stone walls and everything. Yeah. Like, and they like duck behind them and stuff. <laughs> Yeah, if you're going to the pub, you better leave now because it's <laughs> ten miles away. And you I know walk. you have to walk, so I'll <laughs> I'll go order the mine ahead, and you come along, and we'll, yeah. Um, and then of course when we you know when when the when, when the donkey dies, you know that's that's the straw that breaks the camel's back. He was like, "Well, I am done with this," you know, like. And he burns his house down, right? He burns his house to the ground, but he saves the dog. Yeah. Doesn't he take the dog out first and he burns the house down? Yeah, he literally. I mean, the the woman stops him on the way, and she's and because 
she knew that because of course she she knows everything. You know, she knew that um um you know, he had just killed, you know, incidentally killed his donkey by the donkey ate one of the fingers. Yeah. And, and um he's you know, she says don't go killing his dog now. And he, you know, when he gets there, he takes the you know dog and says, like, why would I kill you? You're the you're the only thing about him I, you know, like that's still good. The only thing about him that, that I still like. It's like the dog is the thing that is 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 making him more bearable. You know, like so, like the dog the dog plays an important role too. You know, in keeping what people you think the, human. What do you think of the ending? It just sort of stops. Very Irish ending. <laughs> it's just like, well, we're just gonna keep. Yeah, there, there is no resolution to the story, and I think that's the point. Like, you know, the um, they're they're not. You know, no one is willing to do the other thing, which is to commit suicide. Like. Everything else is sort of silly. Like you have two choices. What were the three choices? You could live and be happy and somewhat ignorant. You could leave or you could die. Or you could do the thing the Irish do, which is live in it and sit in it forever. And, you know, that resentment builds up and people, you know. Like there's there's that great line in The Departed where um What's his name? Uh, Matt Damon's character is talking to his girlfriend, and and you know they're they're in like a rough patch in their relationship. And he says like, "Well, you know, I'm Irish. I'll live with something being wrong my entire life." <laughs> and it's true. Like it, like they, you know, there's this inaction that seems to be culturally prolific. You know, in that. You know, when your culture is subjugated for so long, for a thousand or two thousand years, and you struggle, you know, to, you know, to to hold on to your identity, you know, the struggle is actually the important thing. It's because you know, it's the 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 Irish language didn't die. It's you know, it's it's evolved over time, both you know, accidentally and quite deliberately. But like that culture has, you know. You know, I, I I liken it to like taking a piece of metal and just banging the crap out of it. Like you know, the metal still stays together; it just doesn't look the same after a while. And you know, that culture has come through that process of being banged and kicked around and then reshaped and molded, um, but still you know intact, just very very different. And so. That's where that's where they are at the end. They're still intact for the most part. I mean, he's he's missing some of his fingers, but like, they're just very very different than they were. Right. I I think it's like because there there's a lot of going back and forth, like Colin Farrell trying to save everything, the other guy kind of looking interested at him every time he does something wacky. Yeah. Like they have that scene where he's like, Colin Farrell gets drunk, screams at him, "How could you do this to me?" And you're right, he does say, like, that's the most interesting that guy's ever been, you know. But, I mean, aside from the fact that's extremely cruel of a thing to say, like, every time that happens, Colin Farrell thinks that maybe he's got one more shot. Yeah. So he comes back to him and he was like, hey, I'm sorry about all the things I said. Let's go back to normal. And that's when the other guy's like, no, idiot. I, I want to see emotion out of you. But but he he's not capable of that. So 
when he kills his donkey and he the other guy burns down his house and they stand and stare at the beach at the end of it you know he, he says i'm really sorry about your donkey and Colin Farrell goes i don't care anymore all i want to do is make sure that you hurt as much as you've been hurting me because he still can't understand like he's just he just isn't capable of making the leap that he needs to and the other guy is not capable of going back either yeah so they will forever be at the impasse where they've hurt one another permanently and and it's very sad it's <laughs> the only one who gets out is the sister it's extraordinarily sad and it, it, it's it's sad because you recognize that in in people too that's not a thing that is foreign you know it's it's sort of under a microscope here because you've got a tiny little island and in in like you know these two tiny people and so you're observing them very closely in this regard but like you know we all we all know people who just become stubborn and obstinate about things and can't seem to make that that leap towards any kind of change whether it's progression or regression mm. you know and you know there there it it feels like a play in lots of ways. Like it feels like this was just like you know what you get if you you know if if you make one successful film or one or two. He's made a few now, um, and you get to like you know what if you could take your play and make a movie out of it? Like how would you structure that? And so it has a has the feel of a play where plays can you know you know it, it can kind of end without a clear resolution whereas a film generally like a popcorn flick is especially you kind of want to have a conclusion to your thing you've been sitting there for a few hours and somehow you've you know gone to to, to the to the trouble of watching something that somebody filmed and made a lot of you know a big deal about whereas a play it can be more experimentational like that you can you know it's, you're a bit more forgiving as as the audience yeah. in many ways but this is what you would do if you got to make you know make a play but film it like yeah you would go get you know the most amazing sunrises on you know on the planet or sunsets and you know film in this place and you know take advantage of all these you know the all that that the visual medium allows you to to do and yet you're just telling the story of a play you could have essentially made this into a stage play with very little difference in in its structure and and design right so the only thing i didn't like and it was extremely play-like and like um way too on the nose in terms of metaphors and things was the old lady who like <laughs> wore black and she just wandered back and forth <laughs> screaming about the future yeah and and at first she's the old lady that they invited to her home and like they feel bad for her. She has nowhere to go, give her a meal, what have you. And I was like, oh, you know, the sister and the brother are nice people like that. But then like he kept passing her on the road and she would like point a finger like the Grim Reaper. Like <laughs> you know? there will be two deaths. You yeah, know? Like and she's right. Another... And she's right. But I was like, oh, man, this is really heavy handed stuff. Here. Yeah, you know, that I felt was a bit much. And like that works in a play like she could be the chorus or she could be like waiting on the side or something but i was like this this looks stupid i mean it's already a, a dark comedy a man's chopping his fingers off so he can stay away from another man but like if that one just felt too much for me i was like we could do without this yeah i can 
Yeah, I, I see that. Like that stuff doesn't bother me because I like that aspect. Like I, I, I like the you know the theatrical aspect of it. Like in the beginning when they, you know, the, like the dialogue is clearly very specific and there's not a lot of liberties being taken. Are you Rowan? I think we're Rowan. Are we Rowan? Like it's just like Rowan. Think we're Rowan. <laughs> there's no there's no wasted syllable in any of it. It's extremely lean in that regard. And and then you don't get that with most films. Most films are, you know, casual and off the cuff and like, you know, but like Shakespeare is not like that because you can't riff on Shakespeare, so you don't. And so every you know, all the words are very economical. And 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 that's true here too. But yeah, it's a little over the top. I didn't mind it exactly because, you know, there are people like that. The character isn't isn't much of a stretch. The prediction is kind of, but that's what you, you know. If you're used to that hyper realism that film gives you, you're going to look at a character like that and go, "Well, this is a little bit over the top." Yeah, it just it just everything else was so subtle that this was just so in your face obvious that this was a thing, and I was like, "Okay, we've lost the subtlety in this character," but you know that's all right. She wasn't in it like so much that it was distracting. It's just every time she popped up, you're like, oh, yeah, this one. <laughs> uh, <look>. uh, yeah, <laughs> like, uh, she was, you know, and, and they saw her and interacted with her. It wasn't like she was like a phantom either. So, like, you know, they, they knew she was around. So, yeah. But, I mean, that really was the only thing that I wasn't a huge fan of. The music yeah, I, was good. The cinematography, like you said, was fantastic. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I, Meant to look it up before who actually um, uh, was the DP on this one because it was sort of ridiculous. <laughs> so Banshees of Inisherin, just a quick Google search will tell us that. Of course, they changed the guy. They went you know website, so I can't tell heads or tails for anything. What do you think of Colin Farrell? While well, I'm searching this up. Um, I thought it was great. Ben Davis. Don't know who Ben Davis is. What else did he do? Three, oh, he did three three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. Guardians of the Galaxy, Captain Marvel. So, um, The King's Man. So, yeah, sort of rather dramatic stuff. Doctor Strange, Dumbo. Avengers Age of Ultron. So, yeah, he's made a lot of Marvel movies. And then he did this. Oh, interesting. Fascinating. I'm always uh, amazed. Like, people, uh, you know, like, I just saw a thing on TikTok the other day. It was like, you know, like, actors that I didn't know were actually really good. And it was like, Colin Farrell is one of the big ones. And he, I actually saw him doing it, like, some kind of a round table in the interview thing where like him and a bunch of other like really famous actors were talking about just you know the the business of acting he said that i don't know i don't know how true this is but he said that when martin mcdonough came to him and said i'd like you to be in in bruges and he's like you don't want to hire me i bring way too much baggage like i'm a drunk i'm you know i <laughs> you know i he became successful pretty young and didn't you know was you know didn't behave himself and got into a lot of trouble, and you know, um, the guy was like, "No, no, I, 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 I want you. I think you'll be good in it." And um, and that's a pretty rare thing for 
a Hollywood actor with a lot of baggage and all kinds of problems to go from playing sort of your standard action hero in relatively minor and insignificant films like Alexander and uh, Phone Booth, you know, all these. Hey, I saw Phone Booth <laughs> in the theaters. <laughs> Someone said it wasn't that. Either. It was fine, but you walk out of there, it was like, I think that movie was 77 minutes long. <laughs> like, it wasn't a really long movie because there's a guy, it's about a guy in a phone booth. Well, it's it's a real-time movie, too, right? Like, it doesn't, it doesn't, yeah, take, it's doesn't really much... take place, you know, that, 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 which I, you know, I kind of appreciate a film that will take its premise to the actual audience and go, yeah, the whole thing's going to happen in the length of time it takes you to watch the movie. Uh, yeah. It was but, it, it, that was okay. He was good in it, so yeah. And like, but he was, you know, the the recruit was a real crappy movie. He was bad in the recruit. He was not good in Minority Report. He was the weakest part of that movie. Um, you know, that 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 part could have, could have been played by anybody. It didn't matter. Yeah, I think I think it was just that character wasn't very good. Yeah, and you know, I mean the. The characters in the film weren't fantastic, and like the premise was what was really interesting about the movie. Like Tom Cruise could have been somebody else. The fact that it was Tom Cruise was okay, fine. Um, like Max von Sydow was the only one that kind of needed to be Max von Sydow in that movie. Um, but then all of a sudden it's like, oh no, he's actually extraordinarily talented. <laughs> we just didn't really notice because they were he was playing all these these, these other roles, and I, I don't know much about him at all. Um, but he's, you know, he's just got gobs of personality. And I think that's what, you know, what does it for him. Ultimately, he has, he has a lot of inner character from which to draw on and, you know, and make choices about how to perform. Yeah. My brother-in-law went to rehab with him. Really? Yeah. They met in rehab. No <laughs> kidding. They, they were friendly. Yeah. Um, it only took for one of them, <laughs> but um, they said like he he was a nice guy and you know everyone loved him. He was obviously an attractive person. Everyone was fawning over. Um, I remember seeing him in an episode of Scrubs, where he brings in a guy, and they think it's like his brother and he goes this is you know and he was doing the irish accent like he was just himself and he was like that's not my brother they go who is that guy he goes it's a guy i knocked out in a bar fight last night <laughs> and they're like well now we have to arrest you and he goes that's all right it's all right lads i know you were just doing your jobs you know like that kind of thing and um they spend time with him the whole episode while he's in handcuffs like and he tells them like He's a traveler. He's been all around the world. He's been in bar fights. He's been in uh, on steamships, and you know he's traveled all over the place. And it, it's like makes them question what they've been doing, living in a hospital, basically. Mm. But he like plays that character where he's like vivacious and lively and fun. And the guy wakes up from the bar fight, and he's like, "Oh, it's okay. I had it coming to me anyway." You know, like everybody likes him. Yeah, even though I they mean, get him arrested, and he, he's the one who knocked the guy out, and the guy's okay with it. You know, there's. There's something really to be said, you know, for people who are charming, you know, sure. and that's that, that's sort of the thing that, you know, is very forgiving. Like, you you know, like I'm I'm in the middle of of watching Babylon now, which is going to take me about, the, you know, the better end of a week to watch. Cause it's seven thousand hours long. But, you know, it's a movie about, 
you know, people in Hollywood at, at, at the beginning of Hollywood. And, you know, charm is the most important resource that you have. If you're charming, you can pretty much do whatever you want because it, you know, it means that you can connect with people very, very easily. And ultimately, that's what acting is, is finding a way to connect people with people, you know, to convey an idea. Doesn't mean that you're good for everything, but it means it means that like you have, you know, the ability for you to do something that somebody else will, you know, see and then react to have have a reaction to. Um, it's just easier, and so like you know, that's it's it's why it's not surprising to me that certain people just that they have that kind of energy. And whenever you hear about them being mean, it's really dispiriting because like you want to like them a lot because that's what they want you to do is like them. You want to oblige them in that with that. Uh, fun fact, he was uh, born in Castleknock, oh. which is a suburb of Dublin that we have ha- have relatives um, who who, are, who live there. Yeah, we've been there. I've been, we've been to Castleknock. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sure, sure, sure. Oh, sure, 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 sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I uh, I mean, he, he kind of came back around with things like... Um, What's it oh, oh, sex tape. Yeah, he had a sex tape too. That was weird. Um, yeah, nothing was good, you know, for this guy for a long time. <laughs> Things were rough, but um, you know, he he got cast in that that weird lobster movie that happened a little while ago, and oh yeah, I meant to see that. You know, like yeah, I mean, he had, like, there's a, there's like a definite you know timeline where he you know he was, I think he was he was in Hearts War, which was a Bruce Willis movie. And then, you know, he did uh, Money Report, Phone Booth, The Recruit, Daredevil, SWAT, Alexander, and then Miami Vice. And then that was it. Like, fell off the face of the earth until he did it in Bruges. And then he just kept popping up here and there in, like, you know, various movies. And, um, yeah, there's a line about him in Entourage back in the, like the late 2000s where Vinny Chase, the character, can't get a job as a movie star because uh, he's, you know, he's become toxic in the last failure film. And his agent tells him, he's like, because you're not playing the game. He goes, look at Colin Farrell. He's made dozens of bad movies, but he over, always overcomes them because the perception is he's a movie star. Yeah. You know, and that's true. Like when I think of Colin Farrell, he's he's been in a lot of bad movies, but he's also, I mean, he's capable of being very good, obviously, in this one. But like, he's a movie star, and you just go to see him. Yeah, not as much as like Tom Cruise, but like he's a bigger draw than you know Judy Greer. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, I know who Colin Farrell is, and he's extremely good looking, and he's charming and talented enough that you're like, I would see a movie with him. Sure, yeah. it might be a piece of garbage like SWAT, or it might be really great like this. Yeah, but no, you, he you roll the dice. <laughs> He, he he he's also, a, you know, and this is something I really appreciate about actors. That, that, that you know, this is something I read in, um, can't think of the name. The guy who wrote the Princess Bride. Oh, uh, uh, William, William Goldman. Goldman. You know, he, I forget if it was in his first book or his second book, but he talked about, you know, the difference between character actors and movie stars. And like comparing Robert Redford to um, um, Robert Duvall, like, and how like the 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 only person to ever do both 
like perfectly was um I'm out of my head. Good lord. Uh Road to Perdition, that's what he ever did. Simon Paul Newman. Paul Newman. Paul Newman was the quintessential smashing together of those two things. Unbelievably handsome. Like really unfair for the rest of us kind of handsome, but willing to play a character and willing to do acting and to do a job. Whereas Redford was just like, I'm going to stand here and you'll film me and I'll be interesting and handsome. And then we'll move on to the next scene and then the next scene and then the film will be over and then you'll, and then I'll have earned what, you know, whatever you've you paid me. Whereas, you know, other actors will make themselves unlikable on film for the purpose of telling a story and you know Duval has done this loads of times and then you know I think David Foster David Foster Wallace writes about this in the article that he wrote years ago about Terminator 2 he's like Schwarzenegger hasn't written into his contract as does The Rock now I can't be the bad guy I'm always the good guy and that's just my brand and once you do that, you you aren't acting anymore. You're just you're you're just modeling. You're you know you're there to sell something, which is the film. And Colin Farrell, you know, plays a lot of people, but like you know, in Saving Mr. Banks, he plays a you know pretty terrible father, alcoholic. Like you know, yeah, it's, he's sympathetic, but also like not a good person. You know, like definitely lets down his family, kind of a thing. And uh, you know he's 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 willing to play characters that are not always likable, you know, in a lot of ways. And, you know, there's just there's, there's more complexity to the, to what he wants to do, and those choices are as important, I think, as as like how he performs on film. So, oh, I liked it. I thought it yeah. was good. It nice to be challenged a little, but not so obscure or obtuse that I'm like I have no idea what's happening. <laughs> yeah. Or like blunt and in your face as some of the movies I'm <laughs> I'm currently watching are are yeah. are being. <laughs> we'll uh we'll we'll get to that one. Um, but if you guys want to let us know that we're wrong, you can uh, tweet us at Three Drinks in Pod on Twitter and on Instagram. You can email us at Three Drinks in Podcast at Gmail dot com. You can complain about us on Facebook. That would be fine too. Uh, but just make sure that you subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you listen. Leave ratings and reviews. We'd really appreciate that. Go over there and buy some merchandise over at Tee Public. Um, yeah, I think that's everything. Yeah, that's it. All right. As always, please drink re- re- responsibly, and we'll talk to you all next time. Bye bye. Bye.